Welcome to Staying with the Trouble. I'm Bishop James Jones, and in this podcast series, I'll be focusing on issues of poverty and exclusion in the city of Leeds with some of the people who are staying with those troubles. My guest in this episode is Jamie Jones Buchanan, MBE, former international rugby league player and now head coach for Leeds Rhinos. just been made head coach for the rhinos what does that what does that mean to you yeah it's a, it's a crazy day we've been through a bit uh, as, a, as a club as a team uh, this year we've not had the best of starts and so i find myself here through circumstance really rather than merit but i've developed a great deal over the last two and a bit years it's the club that i grew up playing for supporting you know my hometown club i fulfilled a boyhood dream there but did uh, you ever think as a boy that one day you would no, be head coach? I never thought at the start of the season that I'd ever <laughs> been head coach, but because Providence over the years has put me into positions you know, that I never expected but have become an immense blessing. Uh, and this is the best job in the league, apart from playing maybe. Is it the pinnacle of your career? <laughs> well, look, I was part of a cohort of, of individuals who, who, from a playing point of view, became known as the golden decade, the golden generation. You know, we're the most successful team in club's 125-year history. And and I guess, you know, there's a lot of pinnacles in that, but certainly as a 40-year-old jumping into the next chapter, it, it is very much like being not too far off the summit of Everest. It, it's really interesting. I think we're going to get into what life looks like, and certainly this word trouble. But I always see life as full of challenges or opportunities. Uh, we've been challenged in recent weeks. This is a massive opportunity, and by God's grace, uh, I've got a big opportunity and want to make the most of it. And why don't you like the word trouble? I know you had issues about the title of this podcast, which is about staying with the trouble. Yeah. In context, it's the correct word in any given situation, but I'm always one that's always optimistic, and I think sometimes we can just start listing things with a real victim mentality. Um, life is what it is, and life's quite often relative. And I used the example of poverty in that, um, you know, I was reading a book recently by a Christian author, actually, and he was talking about the fact that you know there's people that identify with being in poverty in the United States, uh, but actually, even the lowest of echelons of people in the United States, when you compare them to the world population, they're still better off than 80% at rest of the world. And uh, it was interesting. I went to Papua New Guinea in 2018 with the England Knights Rugby League team. Then I went again with the England Women's Rugby League team in the same role the year after. So I spent a lot of time with native Papua New Guineans who love rugby league, and rugby league is the only national sport. Uh, the, the only country in the world where rugby league is a national sport and you go throughout the towns there and people live with no running water, no electric but they're all happy and they're all happy because the person next door has got the same so where you find poverty really is contextualised by inequality I think inequality is the issue so when people in, within a, a tribe or a community uh, has got unjustifiably more than somebody else then that's where inequality comes and that's where people get the feeling of poverty. But you've spent a lot of your life trying to help people with inequality, poverty. Yep. And I gather today from somebody that you actually serve on the Poverty Truth Commission yeah. of Leeds. Yeah. Uh, and that's engaging with people who feel very passionately about being in an unjust world. 
Yeah, and that unjust world is um, the same world that I grew up in. I'm subject to the same boundaries, the same rules. When you say that I've spent time working with people in poverty, that's true. But my intention is to encourage and help people be the best version of themselves. Try and understand what that looks like and what issues are going on within their life that they can maybe work to make better. You know, and, and concentrate on the things that you can control. There's a lot of things in life that we, we can't control and we can't waste time and, and energy on that. But until you've nailed down every little piece of the things that you can control, then you can't focus on the bits that you can't and start pointing fingers and blaming other people because that, that'll never change. That's been there since dawn of time. And listen, when you, when you, I think when you sort of look at the planet now, you know, in 2022, it's probably the best it's ever been in human history, I think, for, for most people. You know, if I was to get ill, there's a very good chance that I could go in a hospital and I'll get treated. We've got an NHS that's going to do it for free. Um, it's a wonderful thing about this country. Um, there's probably nobody from a tribe over at Hill that's going to come and kill me and set my house on fire and kidnap my kids and uh, my family. And there's, there's a good chance that I'm going to live to a, a fairly long age because I've got uh, fairly decent water and, and sanitary equipment. I've got central heating in my house. I've got clothes to air. Um, I, I think there's a lot of positive things. And what I, what I would like to do is just illuminate those bits and just ask everybody, um, you know, are we, are, we, are we doing our very best to recognise what's positive? Because there's, there's a lot of love in the world. Uh, I've been graciously shown a great deal of that love. Uh, and grace is, is a gift that you can't repay. It's a gift that we often don't deserve. And so rather than pay it back, you've got to, certainly for me, my motivation, living in image of Christ, God willing, is, is that I want to pay it forward. Uh, to the next generation of people and make sure that we're creating little pockets of environments within the world where people have got an opportunity to fulfil their potential. Well, Bramley, we call it the uh, the Big Apple, which uh, confuses a lot of people. And because I'd not lived anywhere else, I had no else to compare it to. Uh, because it was home and my, my grandma lived there, the vast majority of my family lived there, and a lot of the love that I experienced in my life was from there. I had a, a real love and nostalgia for that place. You know, there might be people who grew up in a particular society where they have an unhappy childhood and for that reason can't wait to run and get away from it. Uh, but no matter how my life's gone, I, I've always always wanted to stay in Bramley. Um, I met my wife not too far from there uh, uh, and that love is what keeps me and associates me with the place in which I grew up. So, listen, whilst it's not uh, flush with... Ferraris, Porsches and seven bedroom houses, it, it's my home uh, and, and I love it for what it is. And what have been the big tests for you in your life as a child, as a young person growing up? I, I don't know, it, it's, again that's a relative question because I could talk about it and there were some people that would roll their eyes because um, I, I see some people who've really been tested horrendously. Not, but certainly on my sporting journey, you know, things through like injury, um, not being picked, not being good enough, having to go through long periods of delayed gratification when you know, I know maybe I've got to lose certain uh, amount of weight or I've got to increase in size and strength. It takes a lot of discipline, it takes a lot of hardships, it takes sacrifice. Uh, and these are all virtues, again, uh, biblical virtues that are there and conducive to, to being Christ-like. Uh, but ultimately, it's got to 
be about the why. Why are we doing it? And uh, quite often I find that benevolence and altruism, when we're doing it for other people, it is the most virtuous why uh, to bestow upon others. And I know that you too think about your legacy. Again, another favourite quote of yours is uh, from Stephen Covey about in life and in business, it's to to live, to love, to learn and to leave a legacy. Yeah. What, what, what's your legacy? Uh, my legacy, um, I had a friend uh, called Clive Gott, bless him, he, he, he had an heart attack at 52, About uh, he died in 2011, I think, 2011. And he was a really good friend of mine. A bit like Stephen Covey, he was, he was what he'd call an inspirational speaker. He wouldn't be called a motivational speaker because he, he believed that he couldn't motivate anybody. Motivation comes from within, so he, but he could inspire people with stories. And he had this idea of uh, what he called the vapour trail. Pardon me. And that come about from uh, him working at fire service, and he was a 22-stone fireman, and he was overweight, and uh, the fire chief uh, said to him one day look it's our job to save people's lives and we've, we've got to be in good physical and mental condition i don't think you're there and if you don't address it i'm gonna have to let you go and he walked out at fire station and he looked up in the sky and he seen a, an airplane flying over the top and um he thought i don't know where that plane's going but I, I wish i was on it on a different trajectory in my life and he, he watched the vapor trail coming out of the back everybody on that plane has no idea you know, what, what that vapor trail is doing or who sees it or what influences it has on them but it was a, a real metaphor for this idea that everything we say and do in life leaves uh, a vapor trail of influence on that individual. Certainly when you're coaching 30 men, young men, you know, everything that comes at him off, every action, every phrase, everything that you're wearing will have an influence in a vapor trail. And that ultimately is, is what legacy is. So everything that we do and say in life, you know, every structure and model that we leave behind us and surround ourselves with will have a lasting influence beyond my life. Now, Clive Gott has since passed away, and it's years since he passed away, but that story in itself is part of his legacy uh, for me to pass on. And uh, and the legacy, too, of the Rhinos Foundation, which you yep. are very much a part of. Um, how does it make a difference to people's lives? Well, our motto on our club motto is to change lives through sport. So we use the vehicle of sport to open the door to people and Edinley Stadium is a real hub for people to come and fulfil the potential. So uh, we've got five pillars at the foundation and, uh, and our aim is not just to coach people rugby league and we all understand the physical and mental health benefits of being active, uh, but also to talk uh, to people and give them an opportunity to talk about the likes of, uh, of dementia. We've got dementia clubs where people come in and, and provide that environment and platform for them to share, to create a support network for those who might be supporting those with uh, with dementia. Uh, we've got an unbelievable uh, event down at Butlins called Rhinos Challenge where we've, we've got up to 5,000 kids who go and play in the rugby league tournament and, uh, you know, again, fulfil their potential, enjoy themselves, start a journey, make friends. There's, there's so much art history and heritage um, where people like Phil Kaplan, who's another trustee at Foundation, uh, has literally gone through every single player that ever represented Leeds Rhinos or Leeds RL as was known then from the very first game in 1895 and give every single one of them a number. Uh, mine's 1309, 1309. Uh, and, and through that history and heritage, 
we learn about the stories of what rugby league did during the war, during the miners' strike, for example, where it kept people together, communities together, gave them that platform. Um, we have uh, statues, and, and these are almost becoming material, but the, the statue that we've got at the minute is one of John Holmes, who was one of the greatest players uh, at the Rhinos, uh, at Leeds RL during the sort of 70s. But there's one going up a Rob Burrow and Kevin Sinfield uh, soon. Uh, and what they do is they provide this, this symbol of a message, a spirit, uh, they're called spirit at Rhinos, in that there's, there was this group of players that I was fortunate to be a part of that weren't the best players in the world, didn't have the most talent, but because of the way that they treated each other, um, em emanated this shining light that I think actually shines brighter now than it ever did when we played. And the foundation then becomes a pillar that invites people in from around our local community and says to them, have you seen this? Have you seen what love looks like? How can we help you? And just really quickly again, we, not only have we got a men's team, and when I signed for Leeds in 97 as a 15-year-old fanboy, um, we only had a men's team that played there once a fortnight. But our CEO, Gary Everton, said, you know, this is a great hub. It should be open 365 days a year. And since then, we've now got a women's rugby league team. We've got a wheelchair rugby league team. We've got a physical disability rugby league team. These are all run through foundation. We've got a Masters rugby league team, which is sort of 40-year-old plus. And we've even got a netball team. So we've even got a different sport called the Leeds Rhinos that are a franchise in Super League. So then what, what we've done is, not only are we using Headingley uh, to play rugby league, but actually now it's become a very diverse and inclusive environment for people of all ages, of all interests, abilities to come and fulfil their dreams. Let me take you back to um, the diversity point that you raised yeah. and how great it is to have people of all different backgrounds. Rugby hasn't excelled in being the most diverse, has it? Do you have any view on that? Why? In, you'll have to explain it not in what sense, diverse how? The, the black community isn't as represented in the rugby teams? Rugby league had the first ever black Great Britain captain. Um, the issue is that it's almost that normal that we never spoke about it. We didn't shout from rooftops. It, it's interesting that um, you know, as a 40-year-old, I don't ever one, oh no, tell, uh, once in my 22-year journey at Leeds, I, I experienced one example of racism and it bothered me for about three seconds because it was just one mindless uh, drunken fan. Other than that, being massively inclusive, you know, people like Jason Robinson, uh, Martin Afire, Ella Rianley were all heroes growing up. Uh, Leeds had a, a, a black coach uh, back in the 70s who was exceptional. Uh, Clive Sullivan. I, I think there's there's lots of uh, great examples of diversity. I think at the minute, I think 13% of uh, Super League players up until a couple of years ago were black or of, of uh, you know, different race. And I think the reason behind that is is less to do with an inclusivity uh, and more to do with the cultural aspect of sport within uh, the demographic of the North. Uh, and I'll, I'll quantify that. So if you go, for example, to Chapel Town, we know that there's a lot of kids who are extraordinarily talented and have a huge athletic ability uh, because they win a lot of sprint tournaments, they win a lot of schools tournaments, but they never get exposed to rugby league. 
Um, you know, you might have an Asian community, and I have certainly not stereotyping here, but I, I find a lot of my Asian friends like to play cricket. It's it's a quite a well popular cultural sport, uh, and you know there might be a strange to a sport like rugby league. Our issue with rugby league is, is twofold. One, we don't talk enough about how diverse we have been, uh, and two, we need to be better at getting into some of those communities with uh, a diverse range of talent. Why is sports so important, especially for young men? Uh, I think it, it teaches us uh, a lot of lessons about, um, well, uh, some, I'll give you some lessons that I've spoke to my players about today. Um, hard work. And by hard work, I mean um, committing to making sacrifices or making great decisions that will challenge you at the outer boundaries of your comfort zone and, and getting to a point where you're comfortable with being uncomfortable so that we can grow. So number one, doing that. But when we get outside our comfort zone, we're going to inevitably show a great deal of weakness because we're going to make errors, we're going to make mistakes. Uh, because we don't operate very well outside our, outside our comfort zone. That's why it's outside our comfort zone. Uh, so we've got to have the courage to be to quote Theodore Roosevelt, the, the man in the arena. And we've got to we've got to have the courage to keep going, to keep persevering. Now I think when you've got a great support network, which uh, I'd like to think my boys are going to do at the Rhinos and look after each other, we can jump out knowing of the plane, knowing that we've got that parachute of friends that are going to support us and carry us when they need to, uh, and be that stabiliser. Uh, with that, you know, the boys need to make other sacrifices. And I use the analogy of the two Brownlee brothers, actually, who were two uh, runners from Leeds Triathletes. And there's one uh, race that's really famous. You'll have seen it in 2016 in World Triathlon Championships, where Johnny's exhausted and he's got about, I don't know, maybe 200 metres to go and he can't run anymore. And his brother Alistair sacrifices the win, picks him up and pretty much carries him to climb. So he's let somebody else win the race to make sure that his brother's well. Uh, so that's, again, a great picture. Uh, and one of my favourite things is is that he throws him over the uh, finish line. Uh, and I believe I'm right in this, in saying that the reason why he threw him over the finish line is because he, he knew that if he crossed over the finish line carrying him, they'd both be disqualified, I think. I think that's the case. So having the presence of mind and the discipline right, to, to be aware that you're going to be disqualified in the most calamitous of circumstances outside your comfort zone uh, and to still execute it in a benevolent altruistic way for, for me is just mind-blowing. Jamie let me take you back to the work that you do as a member of the uh, Truth Poverty Commission. Yeah. Um, people come before you who live in pretty difficult parts of the city yeah. to tell their story. How do you react to them as they uh, tell you it? Well, I um, grew up in Bromley, which would be, I would imagine, for the most part, described as a socio-economically deprived place. Um, and Manchester Met University did a, a study, actually, that talked about uh, the fact that rugby league and boxing are the two sports that best reach into those communities and actually give working-class lads like myself a chance to play at Wembley, play at Old Trafford, travel world, and become better versions of themselves and again it goes back to the opportunity but the Poverty Truth Commission was a really important period because it allowed me to have conversations with people who were struggling in poverty um, within society and certainly in Leeds and me being a passionate Leeds lad I wanted to give pay forward, give back whatever you want to call it and, and I just sat and listened really, I think it was really important for me to listen to what some of the issues were uh, and a lot of the issues I understood because I've grown up in Bromley, I've grown up around it 
Uh, and I'll go back to this idea that there are some moments of inequality. inequality. There are lots that our political system needs to clean up. In, in that, it needs to stop being or treating people like numbers and treat people on individual an individual basis because everybody's life is different. And you know that old little Britain adage: the computer says no is far too common. Um, you know, there's far too many uh, automated systems, whether it be online or over phone, that say if you want this, press one; if you want that, press two. Uh, and it just doesn't get to the bottom of the issue that some of these individuals are struggling with. And when you were listening to some of these individuals, did you ever come out of the commission thinking, why doesn't the government do this? Yeah, of course I did, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the answer is probably volume, you know. And just really quickly, I've got a, I never got to the point of what the most impressed upon part of the Poverty Truth Commission was. And it was this phrase that I come away with that stuck with me. Uh, of social isolation. Social isolation was the killer that essentially catapulted people into poverty, more so than the system. So some of the individuals, the testifiers, had been through a period within their life where for some uh, fault not of their own, they ended up in isolation. And that isolation meant that they were on their own. And being on their own meant that they led to poverty. And then that poverty was horrendously difficult to get out of and do you think it also led to low aspiration yep yep i've had some challenges in my life and i've mentioned other people that have had challenges but the the common denominator is that those people who come through them have got a support network they've got a team they've got a business they've got a, a school they've got people around them that are willing to walk that journey um, when I the day before i retired in 2019 my cousin and when i say my cousin my mum's sister's daughter bethany rayfield she got stabbed to death by uh, uh her ex-partner in Huddersfield, uh and obviously that was an horrendous time for my family and Mount pauline uh and that was sort of a, 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 a terrible mixture of both knife crime and, and domestic abuse domestic violence and i teamed up with the uh, inspiring author charity that uh, had a campaign that had a catchphrase there's no excuse for abuse so, you know, a gladiatorial, fairly alpha male sport that I've grown up in, rugby league, uh, when you get a lot of those alpha male men telling some of these other men, oh, there's no excuse for that, that's just horrendous and we've got to eradicate this from society. I think that can be quite powerful and it's really important as, as sports people that we, we use the opportunity. And do you get any pushback when you try and get that message over? <laughs> Thankfully not, no. no. Um, <laughs> nobody's said much to me yet anyway. Uh, well, they wouldn't dare. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know. Um, but listen, you know, society and the education system quite often needs to have a look at the reasons why some of these young men find themselves where they are. Uh, I, I read a book recently by a guy called Oliver Cookson who... Uh, talked about in the education system you find this with a lot of entrepreneurs actually that they might have dyslexia uh, and all kinds of other sort of cognitive uh, issues that actually don't mean they're any less clever they just can't read and write very well and when you go into schools i was a governor at school for a long time uh, it's all about mass english science mass english science you know on sport and uh, art and culture and dance and the other parts of the brain which are all about creativity they're quite 
often nice things to do if a teacher's got time to do the extracurricular work on a night. Um, uh, but everybody fixes down on maths and science. If you're not academic, you know, if you're not the type of person who would have uh, flourished in a grammar school, then you're going to quickly become disillusioned and you're going to find another way to uh, find your belonging, to find what you're good at. Because again, I go back to this idea in, in any tribe, you've got to have a role and a purpose. There's nothing more uh, calamitous or nothing more disruptive than somebody who feels like they've got no purpose within a society. You know, and that happens within a team. As soon as you get players who feel like they're not playing a role, they're not being given a role, they quickly go downhill uh, and become feral. So uh, we've all got to have a role. And, and so you ask yourself the question, well, what about all these kids who might have been born with um, a lower IQ or, or, some, or dyslexia or just for whatever reason are not the type of people that flourish in maths and English science? What are we doing for them? You know, uh, and that, that for me is a, a bigger question. Yeah, I've always been very taken with a, a line from a book by Graham Greene which says there's always a moment in childhood when the door opens and lets the future in yeah what was the door in your own childhood that opened and let the future in I love that I love that it's nice there's probably uh, I mentioned Providence before so uh there's been a lot of them doors, but the, I think it was always a driving passion, a desire, certainly to start with, to win. It was always about winning. So when I talk about roles and belonging, when I was a young kid, I realised pretty quickly that I was good at sport and uh, a lot of the kids who shared my experience in sport wanted me on their team because I was pretty handy at sport. So that gave me a role and a responsibility, which also flipped on the other side because winning became idolatrous then in that I, um, it became all about winning too far uh, and I hated losing so it was carrot and stick and then that just put me on a trajectory where I was always trying to be a better version of somebody else so that I was winning and that lent itself to me trying to be best at uh, my single science if I had an examiner who was a hierarchy and a list to put on then I wanted to be on that list um, so that was the door that opened for me and, and you know, multitudinal doors have opened since and thinking of doors opening for other people yeah when you were on the Truth Poverty yeah. Commission, can you tell me any stories of when you heard somebody speaking to the commission yeah. and it really lit you up? Yeah, there was a gentleman. You could tell that. He was an exceptionally clever individual. And you got this uh, sort of impression that it, it was really important to society at one point. And... Uh, he was so clever and he used to wear like a, an iPad around his neck and that sounds odd, but he had an iPad and it was on like a, a, a lanyard and he'd constantly be on there thinking, what's he doing? But he had this contempt for life, like uh, for for existing, like and, and at Christmas he'd turn up and he'd have a big black and white hat on that just says humbug. And, I, and I'm sort of like thinking to myself, mate, until you change that mentality, Life's always going to look dark, you know. And, and again, I go back to when we're talking about trouble. He saw everything as trouble, and he, he thought everybody was a part of this trouble. Anyway, when I got back to hearing about his uh, his story, he was a structural engineer, and he must have been in charge of big multi-story buildings, if I understand this correctly. So, like, you know, buildings like Bridgewater Place, he'd have been in charge of the, the erection of that building. 
which is a hugely uh, big job and a highly responsible job. But it must have been under that much work pressure to get some jobs right. One day, he found himself walking around a building again and again, and he was just doing laps of it. And I didn't go into detail, I just listened. But it, 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 it drove him mad. And in ending, he needed to seek help, and he had a breakdown. And that breakdown is what constituted the uh, the social isolation. That's what brought about the isolation. And then that's what brought about the poverty. But that was, a to use your analogy, a door shutting. You know, that was a, a door being slammed shut really tight and him being confined into a real claustrophobic space. And, and so again, you know, I go back to this idea that the support networks and the pressures that society puts on people, uh, 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 the, the mechanics as to why people end up where, where they are. Let me take you to what I know is one of your favourite proverbs, a crucible for silver and a furnace for gold, but the Lord is the tester of hearts. Yeah. Why is that so important to you? We um, went on a journey as, as players and in sport we represent success with medals don't we certainly in the Olympics or Commonwealth Games and, and even when you play football and rugby you get a Super League ring or a medal and it's often symbolised with silver and gold or bronze and you know, these are precious metals that are mined in the floor they're rare so they've got a value to them certainly gold is, uh, is it's got a utility to it as well it's a fantastic thermoconductor uh, silver's, I think, it's even better. And if we could wire our houses with silver, we would do because it's better than copper. But it costs a fortune, so we can't. Um, and it, it's also fairly unentropic in that you know thermodynamics says that everything breaks down, everything erodes eventually. But when you refine silver and gold in the, the smelting pot uh, and you put it under high pressure and heat, you get rid of the dross, you purify it and you get the best version of that metal which lasts longest. Uh, and certainly on my journey, I think what, what the Bible teaches is quite often is through some of our uh, walk with God, we are tested. Um, the, the Lord tests the hearts. And the, the question is when we put under immense heat, pressure and circumstance, now, if we persevere and keep our face pointed to God a little bit like like Job did, who suffered you know, exponentially, terribly, um, on a scale of 1 to 10 is, is about 52. Um, if you can persevere with it, and even through the understanding and, and the limitations of human beings, you can persevere with, with absolute faith, then we come out of it a more refined individual for that, for that experience. Well, on that note, Jamie Jones Buchanan from James Jones. Thank you very much okay, indeed. Pleasure. Bless. Staying with the Trouble is brought to you by the William Temple Foundation and Leeds Church Institute. The interviews were recorded at Chapel FM in Seacroft. The series was produced by Rosie Dawson. <laughs>